Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Yeah, my Bible tonight. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter six. Deuteronomy chapter six. I'm so thankful uh, to be here tonight and to be with you all. And I love Liberty Baptist Church, and I'm so thankful for this place. This was the first church, Liberty Baptist that supported our church, Rock Hill, when we first were getting our church planted. And so this church will always have a special place in my heart, and we're so thankful for your uh, prayers and generosity uh, toward Rock Hill and all that God is doing there. I'm so thankful for your pastor and his friendship and his influence on my life and his example uh, to me and to my family and to our church. He was with us in January for our conference, and he did an incredible job and was such an encouragement to our church family. And so I'm so thankful for him and his family, and I'm certainly thankful that he's getting some time away, and uh, so thankful for that. Uh, God has been blessing our church. Thank you so much for your prayers and for your support for Rock Hill. Uh, We have seen God do some incredible things this year, and I'm thankful that this year we've seen 130 people pray to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, and uh, we're so thankful for that, that God is on the move uh, there in Fontana and Rancho Cucamonga, and uh, we're so thankful for all that God is doing, and uh, we're praying for uh, a building for our church, uh, the season that we're in. We're asking that God would provide, and uh, this past Easter weekend, we had eight different Easter services. And uh, uh, we're thankful that God uh, allowed us in His grace to fill up those services and see people reach with the gospel. And so we're so thankful uh, for what God is doing. I'm thankful that my oldest daughter, Liv, is here with me tonight. And uh, Liv is getting ready to go into fourth grade. And I can't believe it. It makes me kind of sad to think about it. And uh, we enjoyed uh, coming up and uh, the road trip up here uh, tonight. Liv was the DJ in the car. So she got to pick all the songs. And so we had a great uh, drive up here uh, tonight. Uh, Liv and I like to laugh. Several years ago, we were uh, having a birthday dinner for Liv. And uh, this was when she was much younger. And uh, we went to Goofy's Kitchen in downtown Disney. Has anybody been to Goofy's Kitchen in downtown Disney? This is like a character dining experience where Mickey Mouse and everybody comes out and it's a, it's a buffet and they have all kinds of interesting and, and crazy food. And uh, we were there as a family celebrating a birthday. And I looked over at Liv and I asked her, I said, I said, Liv, uh, what would you rate this place? How, how do you like it? And she said, Dad, I'd give it an F. And I was, kind of, I was kind of discouraged about that because I was thinking, Liv, do you know how much this place costs? Like, uh, uh, I'd give it an F. And then she said, an F for phenomenal. And I said, Liv, phenomenal is not spelled with an F. Uh, but uh, regardless, tonight, hopefully we have a phenomenal night of Bible study, and I'm looking forward to diving into God's Word. Uh, if you have a Bible tonight, Deuteronomy chapter 6 is where we're going to be. And I want to encourage you tonight, if you have a Bible— Uh, to keep your Bible open and ready. Uh, We're going to go verse by verse and just kind of uh, unpack this text tonight. And uh, it's definitely not going to be a message where we just read the verses and never talk about them again. We're going to keep on going back to these verses. And so I would encourage you to keep your Bible open and ready tonight. But Deuteronomy chapter 6, and let's start reading in verse number 1. The Bible says this, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you 
that you might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou, and thy son, and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Tonight, for a few minutes as we study God's Word together, I'd like to speak to this specific subject, the transfer of truth. The transfer of truth. Let's have a word of prayer, and we'll dive into the text this evening. Lord, thank you so much for this day that you've given us, and Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together on a Tuesday evening and gather around your Word. Lord, we acknowledge tonight that it's not about what we have to say or what we think or what we even desire. But Lord, we do acknowledge that it is about what you have to say. And Lord, I pray that we would lean into this text. I pray that you would uh, work in a unique way. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill me and fill this place so that we would have a better understanding of this text and how we can apply it to our lives. And Lord, I pray that you would be with us tonight as, as parents and as leaders and as followers of you that we would seek to have a burden for the next generation. And we would recognize what our role and what our part is in that. And so, Lord, we're praying that you would speak to us tonight. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said tonight, amen. How many of you enjoy watching the Olympics? Anybody like that? You enjoy watching the Olympics? I enjoy watching the Olympics on occasion. And uh, one of the uh, major events that I enjoy uh, watching is uh, some of the races and some of the baton transfers uh, when they race. And sometimes it's always heartbreaking when you see a race and they are transferring that baton and they drop the baton and they end up losing the race because uh, that transfer is fumbled. And uh, how many of you have ever seen uh, a race where the baton was fumbled? Anybody like that? And it's always heartbreaking to see this take place. And sometimes you wonder, uh, how do they let this happen? It seems like it can't be that hard to uh, hold on to that baton. But when you think about the fact that they are running at sometimes 25, 26 miles per hour as they make that transfer, you realize maybe it's a little bit uh, harder uh, than I thought. And uh, my daughter, Liv, is here with me tonight. She's going to come and help me for a second. Uh, and she's going to come and help me with this illustration. Let's give it up for Liv tonight as she comes forward. And... Uh, Liv, Liv has our baton, and uh, we're going to demonstrate this. And there's a lot of technique, actually, that goes into the baton transfer. It's not as easy as it looks. And uh, the runner that's in front, so Liv, you face this way. You're going to be the front runner facing this way. And uh, what will happen is both runners are running, and the runner in front will never turn around. The runner in front can't slow down and look behind them. And so what they'll do is they'll wait for the verbal cue. Uh, the runner that's behind them will be running. And when they get close enough to make that transfer, uh, what they'll say is something like up. 
and they'll say up, and as soon as the runner behind says up, then the runner in front is going to put the baton behind them. So Livy, show them what that looks like. Put the baton behind, uh, keep on looking forward, and then the person behind will put his palm out flat and grab it, and they will make that transfer successfully. And so let's give it up for Liv one more time for making the transfer successfully. And so there's a lot of technique and there's a lot of patience that goes into making this transfer. You want to make sure that you are doing this correctly so that you don't fumble the baton. And tonight what I want to talk about is how we can successfully transfer truth to the next generation. And when we consider this idea of transferring the truth, we have to recognize that there is a right way to do it, that the timing and the technique is vitally important. As parents, as leaders, as teachers, we have a weighty responsibility to transfer the truth to the next generation, to teach the next generation what the truth of the gospel actually is, to teach the next generation who Jesus Christ actually is, to teach the next generation the power and the significance of the local church. We have this weighty responsibility to transfer the truth and to uh, teach the next generation the why behind the what. Uh, for too long, uh, where the church has failed often is we are teaching the what to teenagers. We are teaching the what to the next generation, but we often fail to teach the why behind the what. We're teaching them what to do and what to wear and what to say, but often not why they are supposed to be doing those things from a biblical perspective. And so tonight we're going to talk about the transfer of truth and the idea that truth must not stay stationary, but it has to be transferred. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And so we have to be reminded that all of us tonight, whether you're a parent, whether you're a teacher or a leader or a follower of Jesus, all of us have been called to transfer truth from one person to another. Now, this is why the Bible says in 3 John 1, 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. And so this is the delight of a parent that a child would uh, grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and walk according to the truth. And so the question that we have to consider tonight, all of us have to consider this question is, how am I doing when it comes to this idea of transferring the truth? Not how am I doing receiving the truth, not how am I doing discovering the truth, how am I doing when it comes to transferring the truth to the next generation? Now, we come to Deuteronomy chapter 6 tonight, and this uh, book of the Bible is written by Moses. It's the last book of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And uh, Moses here is writing this book, and this is uh, taking place during the final weeks of Moses' life. And so when you study the book of Deuteronomy, uh, Moses is coming to an end. They've already crossed the Red Sea. They've already wandered in the wilderness. Uh, they've already experienced the exodus out of Egypt. And now they're coming up to the brink of the promised land. But because of their sin, because of their idolatry, they were not yet allowed access and entrance into the promised land. And so when you come to Deuteronomy, and specifically Deuteronomy chapter 6, Moses is standing before the promised land, and he is standing in front of now the next generation. He's an older man. He's getting ready to pass on, and he's standing before the next generation, and he is imploring with the next generation and teaching the next generation the truth of God's love and the truth of the law. And so Moses here is standing before the next generation that is coming up. And notice what he says in verse number four, if you have your Bible open, it says this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God 
is one Lord. This was a monotheistic declaration that there is only one God who they were to worship and obey. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now, these are very prominent and significant verses in Scripture. This is what is often called the Shema. Uh, these are verses that in Judaism uh, are uh, often memorized. These are the first verses that a Jewish child will memorize. These verses are the verses that are read at the beginning of every service. This is the Shema. Uh, what the Shema means in Hebrew is to hear and to respond to what you hear. So hear something and then respond to what you hear. We would call it in English obedience, that we would obey. And so these are significant verses that even Jesus in the New Testament, he quotes these. Notice in Mark chapter 12, Verse 28, the Bible says this, And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, uh, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel. So here is Jesus in Mark chapter 12, quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema. He's quoting these significant verses. He's saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And so Deuteronomy 6 here is the first mention of this powerful principle and truth to love the Lord your God. Now don't miss this. If you are a parent that is interested in raising up the next generation, if you are a teacher or a leader that's interested in transferring the truth to the next generation, then don't miss this because I think it's so fascinating that here is Moses getting ready, standing before the next generation, imparting truth to the next generation, and before he explains the law of God, he begins with the love for God. And this is so paramount when it comes to transferring truth to the next generation that Moses recognizes, before I can teach you the law, I have to teach you about love. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you know all the rules in the world and all the laws in uh, the world, if you don't have a motivation of love, you will always fall short. And so the law will tell us what to do, but love empowers us to do it. And so here Moses is prioritizing and emphasizing love. This is why Augustine said this, love God and then do as you please. Because if you truly and fully love God and you sacrificially love the Lord, then you don't have to worry about your conduct because it is the grace of God, not the guilt of man, that motivates us to holiness. It's not just more rules and regulations and the law that motivates us. It's the love of Christ that constrains us. It's the love for God that motivates us to live for him. And so Moses here says you have to start by loving the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. And if there's anything that we can transfer to the next generation, it's the fact that we have to let them know about the love that God has for them and how they should be motivated out of a place of love. This is why Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. See, the motivation is not guilt. The motivation is grace. It's if you love me, then keep my commandments. And by the way, uh, his commandments are not burdensome. Uh, I believe that following Jesus is the best life possible. I'm thankful that following Jesus is the abundant life. It's the Zoe life. It's not the second tier junior varsity life. It is the best life possible. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, Moses is going to give us some powerful truths tonight, I believe, about this idea of transferring truth. If we want to make sure 
that the generation coming up behind us, whether they are in elementary, whether they are in college, whether it's a teenager, uh, if we are interested in making sure that next generation receives the truth, then I believe we ought to listen into what Moses has to say, because that's exactly what he's doing in Deuteronomy 6. And what I want to do tonight as we unpack these verses together is I just want to give us a couple of things to... Uh, kind of hang our thoughts on, and if you want to jot a couple of these uh, down, you can. But I want to give us three ways that we can transfer truth. Three ways as parents, as leaders, as followers of Jesus, that we can transfer truth. By the way, everybody in the room tonight is a leader. You might not consider yourself a leader, you might not view yourself as a leader, but the truth is we've all been called to lead other people to Christ, and so all of us are leaders. And so how can we transfer truth to the next generation? Three ways tonight, if you want to jot them down. Number one is this, we have to make it integral. We have to make truth integral. We have to make sure that truth is not compartmentalized in our lives, but rather truth is integrated into every area of our lives. What we often do is we often compartmentalize truth to Sunday. We often compartmentalize truth to a midweek service. But the idea that we're going to see and learn from Deuteronomy 6 is that truth must not be compartmentalized, but truth must be integrated. Uh, First, in your private life. I want you to see it in verse number 6. It says this, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in, watch this, thine heart. It starts with the individual. Uh, It starts with your heart. If you want to transfer truth to the next generation, you have to make sure the truth is in your heart. And so he says, first of all, here in verse number six, uh, these words which I command you this day shall be in thine heart. Nothing can happen through you until it first happens in you. And, And so what Moses is saying here to the parents and what he's saying to every generation is you have to make sure that the truth of God's word is in your heart. Uh, That truth is integrated into your private life. So we're not just saying something publicly that we're not practicing privately. We have to make sure that it's in our heart. By the way, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us will personally give an account before the Lord. And in that moment, it's not about uh, our parents. It's not about our upbringing, our education, our experiences, our surroundings, we will have that individual soul liberty, and uh, we must all give an account uh, before the Lord. And so we have to make sure that truth is integrated into our private lives. That's why Colossians 3.16 says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you. Let the word of Christ, uh, the words of the Lord, dwell in you richly, in all wisdom. See, when God's word is in you, then he can do great things through you. We cannot talk tonight about the next generation, and we cannot talk tonight about uh, uh, parenting and teenagers until we first have the words of Christ in us. It has to be integrated into our private lives. Uh, By the way, can I just encourage you tonight that nothing in our lives deserves our attention more than the Word of God? So many things in our lives are vying and pulling and distracting and trying to get our attention. But what we need to do is look to the author and finisher of our faith. We need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and on uh, his words. Nothing is more important than the words of Christ. We live in a world where we want our desires, we have ambitions, we want to follow our dreams, and typically our dreams and our desires and what we want takes priority. Uh, Several years ago, we were at an Angels game with our family, 
and uh, we were having a family night, and uh, we were having a great time. And uh, my youngest daughter, Blakely, uh, she does not care about baseball at all. And so uh, she was just kind of looking around at all the shops and, and uh, the different vendors, and she spotted Dippin' Dots. And what she cared about more than anything else in the world that night was getting some Dippin' Dots. And so she kept on asking me, Dad, can I have some Dippin' Dots? Dad, can I have some Dippin' Dots? Dad, can I have some Dippin' Dots? And we hadn't eaten dinner yet, and so I had to finally tell Blakely, uh, I had to finally tell her kind of sternly with a parental tone, I said, Blakely, don't even say Dippin' Dots one more time. Uh, because she kept on asking me incessantly, and so I said, Blakely, don't even say Dippin' Dots one more time. And she was discouraged by that. She did not like that uh, response. And so she kind of went away for a few minutes. And about 10 minutes later, she came back to me. And she was just looking at me. And she wasn't saying anything. And she was looking at me. And she said, Dad, I want what I want. <laughs> and uh, she wasn't going to say Dippin' Dots. But she said, I want what I want. She knew exactly what she wanted. And uh, here's the reality for all of us tonight. It's indicative within our human nature we want what we want. We have desires. We have dreams. We have ambitions. We want what we want. But spiritual maturity comes when it's not just about us wanting what we want. Spiritual maturity comes when we want what God wants. When we, when we recognize, Lord, what is it that you want for my life? What is it that you want me to do? And, and so often we get caught up in our own desires rather than going back to the truth of God's word and making sure that the truth of God's word is integrated within our own lives. And so Moses says with great wisdom, make sure it's in your heart. You have to make sure that you are understanding the truth of God's word in your own private life. This is uh, where so many People get it wrong today that they are building a worldview based on their emotion, based on their feelings, based on their surroundings, based on the culture. But what we need more than ever are some parents and some teachers and some leaders that would say, you know what, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to build my worldview based on what the Bible says, not in how I feel or what the culture around me is doing. And so Moses says, make sure that God's word is in your heart. Charles Spurgeon, he said this, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. We never get to a point in our spiritual lives where we say, all right, well, I got that checked off my list. I don't need to do that anymore. Uh, the word of God must be integrated into our private lives. So first, Moses says, make sure it's in thine heart, in your heart, in your private life. But then second, in your family life. Notice it in verse 7. So he says in verse 7, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. So now Moses makes this transition. He starts... He starts personally and privately, make sure it's in your heart. But then he makes a transition and says, you have to diligently teach this to your children and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, verse 7, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And so Moses is making it emphatically clear for us that the transfer of truth to the next generation doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen by itself. It, does, it doesn't happen on autopilot. We have to be intentionally, uh, uh, diligently teaching the truth to the next generation. I, I love how he says, uh, when you uh, walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you go to sleep, when you sit at the table. What is he saying? He's saying that the transfer of truth is not just compartmentalized to a specific day. It's in every area of our lives that truth must be integrated. When we wake up in the morning, uh, we want to have our devotions. When we go to bed at night, we want to pray. Uh, when we are walking by the way, we want to be teaching and training the next generation. Uh, so often, Katie and I, 
We are not perfect parents, but we are trying our best to take every opportunity to teach our children about God's love and about his creation. And so when we're driving to school, we're observing the mountains and we're looking at creation. We want to remind our kids about the beauty of God's creation and intelligent design and how creation points to a creator and design points to a designer. And what are we doing? It's not just Sunday. It's not just Bible study. It's not just uh, during school. It's every area of life. Truth must be integrated. That's why Proverbs says this in Proverbs 6.23. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. And so truth is a way of life that we have to take every opportunity uh, to uh, integrate truth to the next generation. Now, I want to read a verse, and I would encourage you, in fact, if you have a Bible, hold your place in Deuteronomy 6, and I want to encourage you, turn to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And uh, I believe that this is one of the most practical verses in all the Bible on parenting. And so if you are interested in growing as a parent, as a leader, as a father, as a mother, um, I would encourage you to listen to this verse, and I believe it's so practical. It's so practical. It gives us some some handles, some tools on how we can parent. Now, the Bible says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 11. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. And so here, Paul, writing to his friends in the church at Thessalonica, he is uh, giving them a threefold instruction But then he has this phrase where he says, as a father doth his children. And so the implication is, this is what a father should be doing. And so if you're a father tonight, I would uh, particularly pay attention because he says, this is the expectation of what a father should do. It's a threefold challenge to exhort, to comfort, and to charge. And so I want to talk about those three things just for a minute because I believe this is how we integrate truth into the next generation. First, we exhort. The word exhort means to call to one side. It means that a parent should want their children to get on their side, so to speak. It doesn't mean our kids should be carbon copies of us, but it means when it comes to major biblical convictions, we want them to be on our side. We want to exhort them uh, on the side of truth. And so he says a father is going to exhort, but then secondly, uh, a father is going to comfort. And so there's going to be a level of encouragement. Uh, don't provoke your children to wrath, Ephesians says, as a father. And, and so uh, uh, the responsibility of a father is to encourage and to fuel the motivation and to uh, comfort his uh, children. And so exhort, comfort, and then charge. The word charge means this, to protest or to implore. And so there are times as a parent when we need to confront, to protest, to implore. Say, so you know what, when it comes to that entertainment, we're not going to allow that in our home. When it comes to this language, we're not going to allow that in our home. There's going to be times when a parent has the responsibility to protest, to implore, uh, to charge uh, the children. Now, this takes work. This takes effort. Uh, uh, this takes uh, diligence. That's why in verse number six, it specifically uh, talks about uh, this kind of diligence. Uh, Paul Tripp said this in regards to the integration of truth. Uh, he said this, in the family, life is brought not only to our doorstep, but into our kitchens, bedrooms, and dens. In the family, life is happening all around us, and it begs to be questioned, evaluated, interpreted, and discussed. There is no more consistent, pregnant, dynamic forum for instruction about life than the family, because that is exactly what God designed the family to be, a learning community. 
And so if we're gonna transfer truth to the next generation, we have to ask the Lord, how can I integrate this into every area of my life, in my personal life, in my family life? Truth must be integral. And so number one, make it integral. Here's the second thought tonight. Number two, if we're gonna transfer truth, we have to make it memorable. And so we make it integral, and then we make it memorable. How many of you would say that you are a forgetful person? Anybody like that? You forget things? Uh, according to the famous Ebbinghaus forgetting curve, there was a study done that said on average, people forget 40% of the information that they hear within 20 minutes. Now, that's not very encouraging for me tonight as I give this talk because uh, by the time we get into the car tonight, most of this information is just going to be long gone, right? And uh, we are forgetful people often. How many of you have ever been to a restaurant? and the waiter or the waitress just refused to write down your order. They just wanted to remember it, and it always kind of makes you feel a little bit nervous. Anybody ever been there before? And uh, uh, if you've ever been to Cracker Barrel, you know that Cracker Barrel has the star system for the waitresses and the waiters. And, uh, you know, if, it, if they're new, it's a one star, and then if they've been there for a long time, they have five stars. And I try not to be judgmental, but when we get a one star, I'm like, all right, here we go. You know, this is going to be the rookie uh, that, that's helping us. And uh, we were there the other day, and uh, they were just uh, uh, remembering everything that we were saying. And sure enough, so many things got it wrong in the order, and I just was thinking, you know, uh, I'm impressed that you're trying to remember all this, but everybody would feel more comfortable if you would just take a pencil and write it down, right? Uh, the shortest pencil is better than the longest memory. And uh, sometimes we can... Uh, be forgetful about innocent things. I remember a few years ago, my dad called me, and uh, my dad called me from Lancaster, California, and he said, Matt, uh, your mom and I were just in Palm Desert, and I forgot my wallet at the hotel. And he said, uh, it's about a three-hour drive for us, and it's about an hour and 20-minute drive for you. Would you mind going and getting my wallet for me? And I thought, you know, I need to be a good son. And so, okay, sure, Dad, I'll go get your wallet. And so I drove, I got in my car, I drove an hour and 20 minutes to Palm Desert, and uh, I went and I was looking everywhere for his wallet, and I could not find it. I was asking people, I was looking where he told me to look, I couldn't find it, and I was kind of discouraged because I knew my dad was going to be bummed out, and so I called him and I said, Dad, I'm sorry, but I cannot find your wallet. And while I said that, while I was talking to him on the phone, my dad said, oh, here it is right here in the car. And uh, the whole time it was in his car and I just driven all the way to Palm Desert to find, and I was like, couldn't you have checked your car before you asked me uh, to drive all the way to Palm Desert? And uh, uh, the truth is we can be forgetful people, but the reality is spiritually forgetfulness can be fatal. Uh, when we forget what the Lord has done in our lives, when we forget how good God is because our eyes are on the circumstances around us, rather than Christ within us, so often forgetfulness can be fatal. And here what Moses is going to do is he is going to set up a system, and he is going to remind the people how important it is to make truth memorable. We, we cannot afford to forget the goodness of God. We cannot afford to forget the tenets of the gospel. We cannot afford to forget about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. There are some things that are just too good uh, not to hold on to and to share with the world, and so we have to make it memorable. Uh, the Bible says this in Proverbs 6:20: My son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart, and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. What is he saying? Do whatever it takes to take the truth of God's word and make it memorable in your life. So what does Moses say? Let's go back to our text in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And let's see how Moses is going to tell uh, the people, the next generation, to make truth memorable. Notice in verse 8. He says this, And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine 
eyes. Now, in Judaism, this is taken very literally. Uh, they would tie these little boxes uh, on their wrists and on their foreheads, and they would place the Shema written upon uh, paper and placed in these little boxes, and they're called uh, phylacteries. And if you've ever seen pictures of uh, people uh, in Jewish culture or even at the Wailing Wall, and, and you'll see these little boxes, phylacteries, inside them there is the Shema, these verses that we're studying this evening. And uh, uh, they did this, and Moses instructed them to do this for a sign to remember the truth of God's Word. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus confronted uh, this, and he said this in Matthew 23, verse number 5, But all their works they do to be seen of men, they make broad their phylacteries, these little boxes with the Shema written in them, they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. And so Jesus was warning, don't just do this for external show. Uh, don't just try to make the phylactery so big that it makes you look better and it makes you feel better than everybody else around you. Uh, don't, don't fall into this external trap of just legalistic uh, activity. Uh, they might have had it on their foreheads, but they didn't have it in their heart. And so Jesus confronted them on this. But Moses here was instructing them to do this to make it memorable. Notice verse number 9. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thine house and on thy gates. And so this is what is called uh, the mezuzah. And this is what would be on doorposts. It would be a reminder, a reminder of God's commandments, a reminder at every home to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. And so what was Moses saying? Uh, we have a responsibility to make the truth of God's word memorable, uh, to hide God's word in our hearts, to make sure that it's a part of our daily lives. There are two things specifically that I think that we need to make sure that we constantly remember tonight. If you want to jot them down, you can. First, we have to remember God's grace. We cannot forget about the goodness and the grace of God. Notice verse number 10 of our text. It says this, and it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers. Remember, the children of Israel are not yet in the promised land. Moses is at the end of his life. He is imploring the next generation. He says, there will come a time when you enter into the promised land. You are going to enter this land that God promised you. And he gives them instruction. Into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not. Now, now, there's a key there in verse number 10. He, he's going to give you some cities which you didn't build. You're going to enjoy the blessings of the cities that God will provide for you that you didn't build. Verse number 11. And houses full of good things which you didn't fill. All the blessings that you will experience in the promised land and all the goodness that will be filled within your homes, uh, don't for a second think uh, that you achieved it and that you filled it. By the way, can I just remind you tonight that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good thing in our lives is not because we are so great, it's because He is so great and His grace has bestowed that upon us. And so Moses is reminding the next generation, hey, when you enter the promised land and you're enjoying the blessings of the city, remember, you didn't build it. Remember when you are enjoying the blessings of the things in your home, remember, you didn't fill it. Verse 11, when you are enjoying the, uh, the, the wells that are digged, which you dig not, uh, vineyards and olive trees, which you didn't plant, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. And so what is he saying? Uh, verse number 12, then beware lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. He's saying, don't let all of these blessings tempt you to start to think that you achieved something rather than received something by the grace of God, that he did this in your life. You know one of the major traps and temptations of the devil today? 
It's not more burdens. It's more blessings. Because if he can load you up with blessings, you might start to feel pretty comfortable. You might start to think, well, look at what I did. Look at how great things are going for me right now. And Moses says, when you enter into the promised land, don't forget the grace of God. Don't forget that this is all about undeserved favor, that God has been so good to us in spite of us. Uh, don't neglect, don't forget the grace of God. And, and so uh, Moses is encouraging them. He's reminding them. One author said this. He said, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It's not the banquet of the wicked that doles our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. <laughs> See, the devil wants to distract us and deter us with good things, but be very careful because when a good thing becomes a God thing, in so doing, it's a bad thing. And the devil can take a good thing and he can make it an idol in our lives. We have to seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto us. And so uh, Moses is reminding uh, the people to remember the grace of God, but not only to remember God's grace, but second, to remember to be grateful. Remember to be grateful. Notice verse 16 of our text. Skip to verse uh, 16. It says this, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him in Massah. And so Moses is saying, hey, what you did in Massah, don't do that again. Make sure that you do not tempt the Lord like you did in Massah. And so that begs the question, well, what happened in Massah? Well, we have to remember because this is what Moses is bringing up. And he's saying, don't do that again. Well, we learn about that incident in Exodus chapter 17, verse 7. And it says this, and he called the name of the place Massah in Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel. And because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? See, this is after the children of Israel experienced the manna and the quail and the provision of God. And at first, it was kind of fun. At first, it was kind of unique. And at first, it was, it was something that uh, put a smile on their face. Man, look at God is providing the manna and the quail. But after time, it got a little tiresome. After time, they wanted something else on the menu. And so what did they start to do? They started to complain. They, they started to murmur. And uh, Moses says, your murmuring is not against me. Your murmuring ultimately is against the Lord. May we never forget that when we complain about our life circumstances, what we are ultimately doing is complaining against the Lord. And what we are ultimately saying is, even if we're not meaning this, what we are ultimately saying is, is that uh, God in his sovereignty overlooked this situation. Uh, that, that God's not in control of this situation. And so they started to complain at Massah. And what, what Moses is saying now is make sure that that doesn't happen again, that you are remembering God's grace, but you're remembering that we have so much to thank him for. I love what the Bible says in Psalms, that we are daily loaded with benefits. It's just like thinking about that. You're loaded tonight. I don't know if you realize that or not, but you are loaded with benefits from the Lord. We have so much to praise him for. We have so much to thank him for uh, that we have a home in heaven and an inheritance awaiting us. We have so much to give him thanks and to give him praise for. And, and so Moses says, don't forget the goodness of God. Psalm 107 says, oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. Do you believe that tonight? Give thanks to the Lord. Give him thanks. It's a sacrifice. Give it to him. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. In other words, there's a difference between feeling thankful and expressing thanks. Sometimes we might feel thankful. Yeah, I'm thankful. But are we expressing that gratitude? Are the redeemed of the Lord saying so? 
And so Moses is saying, okay, when it comes to the truth of God's word, you have to make it integral. Uh, make sure that you are hiding it in your personal life, that you are teaching the next generation. Uh, when you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed, it's integrated into your life. Make it integral, but then make it memorable. Make it portable. Uh, don't forget the goodness of God. Don't forget uh, the grace of God. And that leads us to our third thought tonight. And uh, we're going to get uh, a little bit more practical here and uh, make it integral, make it uh, memorable. But then here's a third thought when it comes to transferring truth to the next generation. We have to make it explainable. Now, this is something that I'm passionate about. This is something that I believe is so important uh, when it comes to the responsibility of the church and when it comes to the responsibility of parents and anyone interested in the next generation, that we have to learn to make truth explainable. See, effective communication is not just getting information out. Effective communication is getting information through. Uh, the difference is, how many of you have ever received a marketing or a spam email uh, in your inbox and you just looked at it and you knew that it was a, a marketing email and what'd you probably do? You just swiped, right? You just deleted it. And uh, all the time I'll wake up in the morning and I'll have, you know, uh, half a dozen emails uh, from just uh, marketing and spam and I'll just look at them and I'll just delete them. Now, those companies, they're getting the information out. Uh, they're getting a lot of information out. Uh, I get the same emails from people all the time. They're getting a lot of information out, but they're not always getting the information through. And see, what, hap what has happened is, is we have been doing our best, as we should, to get the gospel information out. By the way, we should never stop getting the gospel information out. Uh, that is our calling. That is our mission, to declare the good news of the gospel. Uh, but we also have to ask the question, when it comes to the next generation, am I getting the information through? Uh, is the truth of God's word getting through to my teenager? Is the truth of God's word getting through to our, our children in our children's ministry? Uh, are we making sure that it's explainable? This is what Nehemiah said in Nehemiah 8, verse number 8. So they read the book of the law of God distinctly. They read the truth of God's word distinctly. And then, what does it say? He gave the sense. He says, okay, so we read the word of God. Now I'm going to give the sense. I'm going to explain what it means and cause them to understand the reading. Now, this is uh, the responsibility of anyone that is going to impart truth, uh, that we can uh, read the truth of God's word, but then we give the sense. We cause them to understand the reading. We want to make sure that we are understanding that which we are learning. It does not mean that we have every single question answered and that we have every single itch scratched, but it means that we are doing our best to explain the why behind the what, and we are making truth explainable uh, for the next generation. Now, if we're interested in doing this, Moses is going to give some practical advice as we consider these last few verses tonight. Uh, Moses is going to give great advice for transferring truth. Uh, first, uh, first uh, in these verses, we see that we can encourage questions. If we're going to make it explainable, we have to encourage questions. Notice verse number 20 of our text. Deuteronomy 6, verse number 20. It says, And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean these testimonies and the statutes and the judgments? when the Lord our God hath commanded you. See, Moses recognized and understood the nature of a child, the nature of a teenager to be inquisitive. Uh, Moses understood that, hey, children are going to ask questions. And if you're a parent, you know that very well. Uh, sometimes my son Luke will ask me question after question after question. Uh, a few days ago, uh, or a few uh, months ago, we were driving, and uh, my son Luke saw uh, the windmills on the side of the road, and he said, Dad, what are those? And I said, those are windmills. And he said, what do those do? And I said, well, they store up energy and electricity. And he said, well, how do they do that? And I said, well, the wind blows them and they store it up. And he said, well, how does that work? And, I, and eventually I just said, Luke, ask your mother. <laughs> I, don't, I do not know. And, uh, and uh, he was just asking question after question after question. There are 
certain questions that in life we're not going to have the answers to. But then there are other questions when it comes to the truth of God's word that as parents and leaders and teachers, we cannot afford to say to the next generation, because I said so. We can't afford to say, because that's how we do it. There are times when a parent needs to say, this is how we do it in our home, of course. But there are times when we need to explain the truth of the gospel and to explain the why behind the what. Moses recognized this. He says, there's going to come a time when your children start asking questions. And that's okay. Uh, by the way, I'm thankful that we have a faith that doesn't shy away from questions. If you ever get into an environment where you have some questions, you have some doubts, and you have some concerns, and someone says, hey, keep those questions away from here, you're probably in the wrong environment. Because we have a faith where we can ask questions, and that's a good thing, that we can, uh, when we have doubt, when we have concern, uh, when we have a little bit of skepticism in our heart, we can go to the truth of God's Word to find the clarity that we need. Uh, sometimes we have to walk through the foyer of doubt to enter the sanctuary of certainty. And so there are times when we have questions, and that's okay. And Moses, he recognized this. And uh, the Bible says in Psalm, or, uh, Acts chapter 17, verse number 1, and Paul, as his manner was, so this is how Paul did his ministry, as his manner was, he went in unto them, and three Sabbath days he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. So this is how Paul transferred truth. He reasoned. The word there uh, in the Greek is dialegomai, and it means this. To have question and answers. I like how Paul taught. He says, hey, we're going to open it up, and we're going to have a lot of question and answer. And Paul was uh, welcoming in those questions. Many times we are failing the next generation because we are answering questions that nobody is asking. We have to recognize that there are certain questions about life, about marriage, about gender, about creation, about God. We have to recognize that there are questions that we simply cannot avoid. And we have to read the law distinctly and then give the sense and cause them to understand the reading. Uh, by the way, we have a reasonable faith. And so we have to make sure that we are uh, making the truth of God's word uh, memorable and we are making explainable by welcoming questions. And so encourage questions. Here's the second way uh, tonight that we can make it explainable. Uh, we have to explain answers thoroughly. And so uh, we have to have the ability and the wherewithal by the grace of God to explain answers thoroughly. Notice what it says in verse 21. It says this, Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and sore, upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes. And so Moses, here, he gives a history lesson, and he reminds them to explain to the next generation God's faithfulness, and to explain uh, thoroughly the questions that they are uh, asking. And this is, by the way, the responsibility of the parent. Moses is telling the parents, this is not the primary responsibility of the church, to train up the child in the way that they should go. This is not the primary responsibility of the Christian school to train up a child in the way that they should go. This is the primary responsibility of the parent. Now, I'm so thankful for godly uh, uh, church uh, teachers and, and great churches and Christian schools that can come alongside and assist and partner and books and podcasts and great resources that we have available to us today. But the primary responsible agent of the person that is transferring truth is the parent. And so Moses is saying, hey, you have to encourage questions, explain uh, the answers, know the truth of God's word so that you can answer those questions. And then, and I love this, thirdly, emphasize that God is good. When you are training 
up the next generation when you are uh, training and uh, teaching a teenager and a young person, always emphasize the goodness of God. That God is not up in heaven with a lightning bolt just waiting to zap you when you mess up. That he is a good, loving, heavenly father that knows how to give good gifts to his children. That knows how to take care of us. That knows how to give us the best life possible. Emphasize the goodness of God. Watch how Moses does this. Uh, Moses does this in a great way. Notice verse 23. It says this. And he brought us out from thence that he might bring us in to give us the land which he swear unto our fathers. I love that phrase. He brought us out so that he could bring us in. He brought us out. He led us out of Egypt. Here he's referencing the exodus from Egypt. Think of all the heartache that was involved with that. All the pain of wandering in the wilderness and the sacrifice and the turmoil of, of bringing them out. By the way, parenting often requires great sacrifice. And nothing great was ever built apart from sacrifice. And God will bring us out. There is sacrifice. There's work. There's often pain. There's sleepless nights. There's prayer. Uh, there are moments of, of burdens and heavy needs that maybe no one else knows about. God will bring us out through those seasons of difficulty and burdens and sacrifice. He'll bring us out so that he can bring us in. He says, yes, God brought us out. Yes, there was sacrifice. Yes, there was difficulty. But he had something so much better in store. He wanted to bring us into the promised land so that we could experience his goodness and grace in a powerful way. I'm so thankful that our God will bring us out so that he can bring us in. Notice verse number 24. It says this, And the Lord God commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our God, uh, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day, uh, that God is not out to get us, that God loves us, that he wants the best for us. Uh, with my children, uh, my daughter Liv is here tonight, and uh, she's growing up in a pastor's home. I grew up in a pastor's home, and we saw growing up the good, bad, and the ugly. And I want to do my absolute best as a parent to recognize that sometimes ministry comes with burdens. Uh, sometimes there are some things that we wish uh, weren't the way that they were, uh, but I want to do my best to make sure that my children know that serving the Lord is a blessing and that serving the Lord is the best life possible. That when we give our lives to Jesus and when we determine that we're going to follow him, uh, that what we have to gain is so much better than what we have to give up when we decide to follow him. And so here in verse 24, he says, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes. Now, I want to close with this thought. He says, the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes. In other words, Moses gives this whole talk as he's standing before the next generation. And he's saying, hey, remind them, make truth integral, make it explainable, make it portable, make it memorable. Uh, he is transferring truth to the next generation. And then he closes in verse 24 by saying, and make sure that you do all of the commandments. In other words, what Moses is concluding with is the application. Because it's not just about information. Information doesn't lead to transformation. We can give our kids, we can give our teenagers all the information in the world, but it's information plus application that leads to transformation. Uh, this is why the Bible says be doers of the word and not just hearers only. And so Moses concludes by saying, what is it that you need to do? Uh, make sure that you are doing what God has called you to do. Now, uh, the transfer of truth it's not always easy, but I believe it's always worth it uh, to make sure that we are uh, intentionally uh, transferring truth to the next generation. And tragically, we live in a time where so many are more concerned with their own ambitions, their own desires, their own careers, their own success, and often the next generation gets neglected. I read an interesting story not too long ago 
It was by an author and a pastor that was born in the late 1800s. His name was Clovis Chapel, and uh, no relation to myself, unfortunately. But he was an author, and he told this story about two boats that were going down the Mississippi River. And as they were going down the river, they started to kind of talk to one another, and they started to kind of challenge one another. And uh, they were trying to see which boat was faster. And so they kind of started trash talking versus each other a little bit. And eventually they just got into a race, a full-blown race, these two boats going down the Mississippi River. And one boat started to kind of fall behind a little bit, and it was running low on fuel. Uh, the boat didn't have enough fuel uh, for a race, only had enough fuel for the journey. And so it was running low on fuel, it was falling behind. And one of the sailors on the boat discovered that he could throw some of the cargo into the furnace, and that cargo burned just as well as the coal. And so he was throwing cargo into the furnace, and it sped up the boat, uh, so much so that they ended up winning the race. But when they got to their destination, they won the race, but they burned most of their cargo on the ship. And so here is the idea, and here is the question for us tonight. You might be successful in your ministry. You might be successful in your career. But the question is, at what cost? Will it cost you your marriage? Will it cost you your children? Will it cost you your integrity? Will it cost you your joy in ministry? Can I encourage you tonight as we close, don't burn the cargo to win the race. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Set your eyes on him. Seek ye first his kingdom. And then all these things will be added unto you. It's not always easy to transfer truth to the next generation, but it's always worth it. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight as we close. Maybe tonight you are in a discouraging season when it comes to parenting. Maybe the last several weeks as you've been hearing and learning and listening about teenagers and parenting, it's overwhelming. And I just want to encourage you that the grace of God is sufficient to sustain thee, to withhold you. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. It's the good fight. And tonight I just want to encourage all of us, in what area can we transfer the truth? Maybe tonight you need to make the truth integral. Maybe you haven't been spending time in God's word, and the truth of God's word is not abiding in your heart, and that's where you need to start. Moses said it needs to be in your heart. Maybe you have questions. Maybe you have doubts. And you need to go and you need to study the word of God and make truth integral. Maybe as a parent, you need to make truth integral at the dinner table, on the ride to school, in sports, in every area of life. We're going to make truth integral. Maybe tonight you need to make truth memorable. Maybe you need to start hiding God's word in your heart and memorizing scripture and making sure that scripture is not forgotten, but that you are constantly remembering the grace of God and the goodness of God. And when you are tempted to complain about your family and to complain about your situation and to murmur, that you're gonna be reminded of the goodness and grace of God. Maybe tonight you need to make it explainable. Maybe you are a teacher or a parent that has been shying away from the tough questions and you need to uh, learn by the grace of God to the best of your ability to make truth explainable for the next generation, that we're gonna do our best to teach the why behind the what. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.